0: This is None of Your Business Podcast, a podcast where we talk about none of your business and ask questions that's no one's business. Thank you for joining me today. Now, in this podcast, we bring you inspiring storytelling from the heart. So, if you want to hear some inspirational motivation or whatever else, then stay tuned. So, let's get in with the show. Man... I am so stoked for this. I got Miss Be Helpful on, Miss Yanelli, the YouTuber and financial educator. So stay tuned all the way to the end. Find out all the tips and tricks on how to grow wealth and how to start with simple, easy tips. So if you guys want to hear a special treat, stay to the end and learn all about her hammock. Please share this with someone and go rate and review, guys. I'm keeping this introduction short because we got Miss Be Helpful on. And all right. And I'm here with Miss Be Helpful, uh, also known as Yanelli. Right. Did I say that right? That's right. Okay.
1: That's right. (laughs)
0: So welcome to None of Your Business Podcast. So who are you? What do you do?
1: So I'm a financial educator and YouTuber. So uh, I used to be a classroom teacher and then I started posting videos on YouTube about my personal finance journey, just getting my money together, getting out of credit card debt, uh, improving my credit score, starting to learn about investing. And and then I officially became a financial educator, not just a classroom teacher.
0: Yeah. So why did you start, excuse me, why did you start making YouTube videos? Were you like just to educate people? Like, What was your reason?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, it's like, why does anybody start sharing anything, right? It's like, they feel like everybody needs this, right? Like, like, for me, I had used um, personal finance books, blogs, uh, videos that I found online, TED talks, uh, pretty much. That's how I learned about money. I just learned about it on the internet, and through reading books. Um, And I felt like, that's not fair that I had to force myself to learn it. Like school should have taught me all this stuff. I should have learned about taxes. I should have learned about credit. I should have learned about banking in school, the stock market. They should have taught me this. And because I felt like I was mad almost that like the education system didn't teach it. I was like, all right, I could just sit around and complain that I didn't learn this in school, or I could just start teaching it so that other younger people can find it and not be able to say that they didn't learn it either. So like pretty much to try to break the cycle and just provide the information that I wish I had when I was struggling with money when I was younger.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think learning about money is way more important than learning history. Like history is important. But of course.
1: Yes. But you know, yeah. within reason, of course there's certain things that I remember learning that I'm like, I never used that a day in my life. I could have, I could have used so, so much more valuable information than what I was taught in the curriculum, in the traditional curriculum of school.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you were going to give like a talk, a speech or make your last YouTube video on financial literacy, yeah, what would you tell whoever you're talking to?
1: Oh man, it's hard because there's so much, right? Um, I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing I would say is that the foundation for everything in your life is money, whether you want to accept it or not. It's, the, it's a fact. And so you're never going to be able to put all the pieces of your puzzle of your life, the puzzle of your life together in a way that's super strong and it's not going to fall apart and, and, and pieces aren't going to get lost until you figure out the money piece, because that's the base of everything, right? Like if you're sick and you have money, you can get the treatment that you need. If you are struggling with, you know, academics, you can afford a tutor. You can get the tutor if you have money. I, I mean, pretty much any problems that you're having generally, you can find solutions that you know you can pay for solutions and if you don't have the money, you often oftentimes you don't get access to those solutions. So I feel like I would my, my the premise, the, the thesis of what I would say is that money and, and learning how to manage your money and make smart money moves is the base of, of everything else in your life. And you need to get that together before you want to kind of go off and and improve any of the other aspects of your
0: life. Mm, okay. So I know there's a lot of people out there that have like start small and then go here like if somebody they're struggling with their finances they know nothing yeah what's like three tips that you would generally tell someone to do
1: yeah i think the first thing is is start a budget um and i think a lot of people they hear that and they're like oh, they just like roll their eyes but the reality is nine times out of ten if you walk down the street and you tap random strangers and you ask them hey you have an, a budget, like for real, for real, a, a serious budget where you actually come every month, you update the numbers, you see if you stuck to it, you see if you're over budget, under budget, which categories you spent too much, too little, and, and reflect on it and then make updates for the following month. A lot, like nine times out of 10 people are gonna say they don't do it. Mm. And, and that's crazy to me because there's no company that's successful that doesn't have a budget. There's no school that doesn't have a school budget, an operating budget, right? Like, so if we expect, to succeed in life um, we have to have a budget Like we have to know what's coming in and what's going out. Um, And for a very long time, I was not budgeting. Like I just would be like, in my mind, I kind of had like a pseudo mental budget. Like I'd be like, yeah, "Yeah, I know that I know I have like 50, 60 bucks left on my next paycheck. Like, but that's not a budget. And so I would, the number one thing I would say is you gotta, you gotta budget. Um, Mm. And then I would say number two is you have to get into the habit of putting money aside for no reason. And that's so weird. Like that's, that's like, it's like a, 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 it goes against your human nature because every time you make money, you know exactly what it's going towards. Like you're like, all right, this yeah. is my rent money, right? Like, okay, this money's for the groceries. This money is for this. And so to be able to have a savings account with a pile of money, like a stash of money there, and it's not for any real purpose, that's really uncomfortable for people. It's like, what do you mean? That money's just sitting there. Let me spend it. <laughs> like, right. you know, it's like, I can't just have money sitting around. Uh, but I, I think that's a huge piece of, Sleeping peacefully at night is, for me personally, is knowing that I have a couple thousand dollars just sitting there. If I was to lose my job because of whatever reason, you know, COVID-19 obviously right now is a big thing. But if it wasn't coronavirus related, maybe it's something else. I lost my job. I would be okay for a couple months until I found the next gig because I have you know, a couple months of rent just sitting there. I'm not going to get kicked out of my apartment. I'm not going to have to go begging people, take a payday loan, beg, you know, whatever. And so I think like one is budgeting, two is getting into that weird, awkward habit of just piling money into a savings account with no real purpose, just knowing that that's there for an emergency. Um, And then the last, the third piece is you got to learn about investing because it's just, there's just nothing else in the history of humanity that has propelled the amount of wealth generation that a lot of the wealthy and the rich people in our country have nothing else that has done it compared to the stock market like yes real mm-hmm. estate has done it but it's it's in in a different way like consistently historically over time time and time again allowing people to build wealth from one generation to the next it's the stock market it's the it's the greatest wealth generator so we gotta get on that bandwagon understand get rid of like the fear the confusion like the oh i don't know it's scary but the vocabulary is scary like yo, get over it. Like you just just learn what the words mean, understand the basics and start investing because that's the only way you're going to be able to retire comfortably and without any stress or worries about if you're going to be able to pay for your health, if you're going to be able to pay for your healthcare, for medicine, for, you know, your, your rent, your mortgage, your bills, when you're an older, older age, uh, you won't have to worry about it.
0: Okay, okay. So like growing up, you were talking about how you didn't have a budget and mm-hmm. you had like a fake budget in your head. <laughs> yeah. Like what what kind of struggles did you go through financially besides just saving that fifty dollars till your next paycheck?
1: Yeah. I think I think the struggle is um it's very real like physically, like in my in like in my space, like if there wasn't enough food or there or if I didn't have the right clothes or shoes. But I also think a bigger piece of it was mentally, like I had a mindset that um money was like it was limited like there was only but so much money and there's not enough money for this or for that and that was like a big mindset And i think i had to change that mindset shift in order to be able to get over some of the the financial hurdles that i was facing but i think the biggest things i mean i grew up low income first gen like my parents are dominican immigrants new york city they don't even speak english like my my dad worked my mom didn't she was always home taking care of the kids and um eight brothers and sisters I have so there's so there's nine brothers and sisters in one house with two bedrooms so two-bedroom apartment and like a room in the basement all of us packed in there and um you know it was hard it was hard like we had to share everything we sometimes we just didn't know like uh if we gonna have enough money for things that we needed or wanted and um and I think that taught me a lot of grit so like I had to be able to just get over things pretty quickly. Like I have thick skin now. Somebody tells me no, I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna figure out another way. (laughs) Versus, you know, I think a lot of other people that um, if you've been given everything, you've been fed, you know, silver spoon from the time you were born, it's hard for you to hear no, and you don't know really how to deal with that. And I think, um, so because of some of the financial challenges that I had growing up, I saw that my parents didn't have enough money for the for the things that we needed, school supplies, clothes, like things like that. I would go to school and all the kids would be like, Oh, what'd you get for Christmas? I'm like a hug and a kiss. <laughs> like, right. You know, yeah. You know, we don't have, It you know, wasn't a lot of money to buy everybody presents and stuff. So I think those are the main financial challenges I can really remember from growing up. It's like the lack of physical things, the lack of the ability to go take trips. Like we never really took vacations. I never went to Disney. I, like there's things I haven't done. And that a lot of American people, a lot of American families think that's like, Oh, come on. That's so common. And they take for granted, you know, um, these things. But at the end of the day, I feel like those are the things that made me who I am. It made me gritty. It made me strong. It made me like, uh, be able to overcome a lot of adversity and challenges in a way where I'm like, you know what? If I hadn't had that lack of financial, you know, um resources, I probably wouldn't be the same person. So I'm like, I can't really be mad about not having things because it, it kind of it made me thick skinned.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no story without struggle. Right. Like and now your path to success going through those struggles is now you have a YouTube channel. So now you're teaching people, hopefully by people listening to your new podcast and watching your YouTube channel, they don't have to make the same mistakes you did or go through the same, uh, challenges you did. Exactly. So like when you've been doing your YouTube channel for how long again,
1: uh, since 2015. So it just turned, oh, it hasn't turned five yet, but it's going to be turning five this summer.
0: Okay. Okay. So when you were doing your YouTube channel, like what are some struggles that you were, coming into while trying to get that up and going
1: yeah i think well the first thing is the the struggle everybody faces when they start a platform of some sort it's like how the heck am i going to get this out there (laughs) like marketing is is big it's like if you don't know uh you know thousands of people how are you going to get thousands of people to find to find your content um and i got very very lucky like the way the youtube algorithm works it's there're certain keywords and key terms kind of like SEO with Google that there's certain terms that like a lot of people are searching for that and i had no idea that i happen to be posting videos that fit exactly with the youtube keywords and key terms for a very popular niche uh, category, which was credit. There were a lot of people on YouTube looking for videos about how to improve their credit score about how to improve, uh, you know, their, their general credit, how to get access to a credit report. Like what are the ways that they could get, you know, a credit card and all the things around your credit and your credit score, and I did not know that that was a big, like, hot keyword topic. And I was posting a lot of videos about that because I had just got out of twenty thousand dollars of credit card debt, and so it was just it just happened to be relevant to my life at that point in time for me to say, like, guys, this is how I paid off my credit card debt. This is how my credit score went up. And those vid- early videos uh, got a lot of traction because of you know a lot of the the keys, keyword search around credit. And um, yeah, hundreds of thousands of views. I was shocked; like I couldn't even believe a year into YouTubing that some of my videos were getting a hundred thousand views. And um, I think that that was just luck, right? And then the other piece of it was. I was relentless. I was emailing everybody and their mama. Like I was sending emails out to my friends, my coworkers, my family, like being like, guys, check out my YouTube video, share this on your Facebook, send this to everyone that, you know. Um, and then my cousins and my, my siblings would be like, yeah, we just sent it to everybody at work. We just told them to check it out. Or I just sent it to my girlfriend's family. Yeah. And it was just through those little things. And then people would reach out to me and say oh I know your brother from you know this youth group we used to be part of and now he sent me your videos and I think they're great I, I have some uh, a person that has this uh podcast and they want to interview you or I have this you know it, they would just start to come natural connections came from people word of mouth basically people telling other people about what I was doing and that really helped me a lot to spread the word about what I was doing so if you if you're creating something you can't be afraid to be your own, um, salesperson. Like you gotta be out there marketing, telling people about what you're doing. You can't be shy about it. Um, you have to be your number one fan (laughs) in some ways at the beginning. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And when I first started my podcast, like I wouldn't tell anyone (laughs) I I wouldn't, which like doesn't make any sense,
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: but if I'm not willing to tell you about it, then why would somebody else?
1: Exactly. And, and honestly, like if you don't, uh, if you're not selling it, How can you expect other people to sell it for you? You're not you know, you have to be so passionate about it that other people see the fire in you. And they're like, Oh, I want to, I want to promote this guy's stuff because he has a fire and a passion for what he's doing. That's contagious. Uh, But you got to start it. Yeah. You got to start it off.
0: That's absolutely, absolutely. Wow. That's pretty cool that you just not randomly, but luckily (laughs) came into the niche. So a lot of people it seems like they're trying to go for like the niches that are popular that's and right. i don't know just a bunch of fake not authentic people and
1: yeah whatever. that's why I, I like that's why i like the fact that it happened randomly you know in a way yeah. because people can tell like i wasn't really trying to to create content for a niche i was just telling my life I was literally just saying what I did I was pulling out my credit cards like literally being like guys look I got my fourth credit card in the mail this is what. this is how much credit I have available now this is like and I was literally just talking about what was happening to me and people could tell they could tell authenticity through the screen they could tell when it's fake and through the screen and some people like the fake stuff like some people love clicking on those ads that pop up on YouTube like look at my fourth Lamborghini over here the swimming right. pool's behind me come I'm gonna show you my second mansion it's like so that gets clicks, that works for certain reasons. But I think underneath it, people know it's not real, and they just really aspire to all of the, you know, um, the, the just the consumerism, right? Like they just aspire yeah. to have all that stuff—the cool cars, the cool house. It's catchy; it, it makes it catches your eye. But at the end of the day, I think there's an underlying knowledge everybody has: like, oh, this is kind of fake. This is kind of forced. It's not authentic, um, and, and that's you know off-putting for a lot of. There are a lot of people that are looking for real content online.
0: Yeah. And like, don't most millionaires in the United States, like they don't buy new cars?
1: Exactly. Most of them absolutely do not. It doesn't make sense to buy a brand new car. That's the thing because it's a depreciating asset. It's not an investment. So the second you drive it off the lot it's worth less than two seconds ago before when you just signed on the dotted line for that car so and and wealthy people know the these things they know the definition of an appreciating asset of a depreciating asset they know what that is so most people don't buy brand new cars because it doesn't make sense financially
0: right if you look at pictures of like bill gates or warren buffett they're wearing like the same thing that they were like 10 years ago
1: Yep, jeans, sneakers, little old navy t-shirts, some regular little, you know, Skechers or some Nikes. Like they don't, they don't have to flaunt their wealth. Wealth is not always defined by the physical things that you have. I think that Mm -hmm. growing up, that was definitely something that I thought. Like that's a misconception that a lot of Americans have because we get obsessed with the hyper consumerism that is living in America. Like having name brand clothes, jewelry, you know, watches, iPad, you know, AirPods, all these things. Like it's a visual. Sign of wealth. But I think we get uh, tricked into thinking that that is the way to tell if somebody has money when actually that's it's definitely a misleading uh, piece of information because somebody with the nicest car, the nicest gadgets, electronics and everything could be in a ton of debt because of buying those things on credit and not actually affording it. Um, And that's the tricky thing about America is that you could come to this country and borrow money and make it look like you have wealth and you Mm -hmm. actually don't have any wealth at all. So when I learned that, I was like, oh, man, this is this is I got to change my whole mindset. I can't worry about name brands. I can't worry about jewelry and sporting this and and flashy that because that's not actually what what wealth is. It's just it could be a sign of wealth. It could also be a sign of, you know, a, a lack of financial stability. So you don't really know
0: yeah absolutely a lack of financial stability a lack of self-worth if i wow. have this name brand stuff then people will love and accept me exactly it goes a lot lot deeper so you know my my first mentor he is, is a film producer internationally yeah. and he drives like a 1984 <laughs> ford he lives like in a modular like old modular. like does look looks like he doesn't have a good job and doesn't make a lot of money, but financially, he's doing, doing
1: real really, well.
0: really well. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it took me years for me to like realize, like, what is he doing? He would always say the word frugal, and I'm like, I was young. I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Man? Yeah. Like, I want to make the money and spend it and do whatever I want. And now that I'm getting older, I'm like, oh, mm. okay. Um, yeah. Spending all that money or whatever, not saving trying to pay off my debt as fast as possible and get ahead of the game, like for moments like right now in the world, Mm. is a perfect example of why you should be on top of your financial education. Yeah. So um, do you have like, I know you got a YouTube channel, but Mm -hmm. like what would, could you recommend to somebody during COVID-19 during this pandemic Mm -hmm. to make a passive income?
1: Oh, there's so many resources online. It's crazy. I mean, I would definitely say, first of all, you can't just go online and look at what other people are doing. You have to first start with your skill set. You know, there's certain things that I can do really well that I don't necessarily enjoy doing. Like, I mean, resumes, right? Like I, For some reason, I'm oddly really good at writing resumes. I can edit them really well. I can revise the writing. I can make it sound super professional, throw in some snazzy adjectives and, you know, verbs. And all of a sudden you got a great resume, literally. And I hate doing it. I don't enjoy writing resumes, but I'm not gonna lie. I can take a resume and make it a bang of resume in 15 minutes. And if I really desperately needed money, Of course, I don't enjoy writing resumes, but that would be one of the easiest ways for me to make money online is because I know that that is a skill that I have. It doesn't matter if I enjoy it or not. If I'm desperate for money, I have to tap into the skills that that I have value to add there. And so I think people need to do that. They need to reflect on what are the things that they're good at? Are you really good at photography? Are you really good at editing videos? Even if you hate it, sometimes you have to make temporary sacrifices to create income at certain points in time. This is especially one. I know that a lot of the essential workers right now, grocery store workers, delivery food uh, workers, they they don't want to be out and about working, they want to be home with their families safe and sound just like a lot of us who have the privilege to be working from home. But they can't they have to make that temporary sacrifice, because it leads to them being able to continue to bring in income. So I think for a lot of people, you got to figure out what is a temporary sacrifice that i can do or maybe you're even lucky in that you do something that you're good at and that you actually enjoy so in my case that's youtube i happen to really love talking making videos and you know and i also like editing the videos and posting them and making thumbnail images and so because i get i enjoy doing that and it makes money on youtube i'm very lucky but i i recognize i'm fully aware that if my youtube channel stop making money and people stop watching it and stop clicking on it tomorrow that I would that I better quickly adapt and start doing something else that I'm also good at that could generate money so for for me easy ways to do that I can only speak for myself online tutoring because I'm I used to be a teacher so I can always make uh you know anywhere upwards of 50 bucks an hour just online tutoring um and then also again resume writing doing any sort of like professional career coaching training resume building workshops stuff like that like I'm just really good at that traditional career stuff. And, um, and then anything related to personal finance, you know, personal finance education workshops. I can do those online. I can you know, ch- charge money and, and teach people the educational financial content that they, that they probably aren't learning anywhere else. Let's be real. It's not in the curriculum in school. Parents don't really know it themselves. So I feel like I know sort of what I'm good, what I can offer and how to make money from that. So people got people to gotta do that. You got to dig a little. What am I good at? And how can I use these these skills that I have to make money?
0: That's a really good point. That's a really, that's a really good point. So, wow. Thank you. Uh, okay. Did you teach yourself how to vid- edit videos?
1: Yeah. So funny enough, when I was in art, um, I was in high school. I was an art major. So my high school, it's the high school that the fame movie is all about, like the movie fame and the musical fame where the kids run out and they're dancing on the cars and stuff. So in my high school in New York, it's a really well-known high school. It's one of the performing arts high schools in New York City. And it's also one of the specialized high schools. So you have to take a test to get in. And so when you test to get in, you have to tell them, what is the talent that you have that you're auditioning for? So for me, it was art. I was, as a kid, I was always art. I was always artistic, very artsy. Like, I would do things with glue guns, glue sticks, crayons, you know, just like always doing something artistic. And that would keep me busy. Either that or reading chapter books. That was, that was like I was lost in a book or making an art project. And so when I got to apply to high school in New York, you have to like apply to high schools if you want to go outside of your, your neighborhood. And, you know, my parents knew that my zip code wasn't one that had great high schools in the zip code that I, we lived in. So they were like, all right, try to go to one of the better schools. So I auditioned for art. I got accepted. I went there for four years. I did children's book illustration was like my main concentration. I thought I wanted to write a children's book series of books, kind of like um, Judy, Judy uh, Bloom does a lot of like children's books and um, Beverly Cleary. Like I wanted to do those like boxcar children book series of books, like all those books I grew up on. I wanted to do that. And then I also wanted to illustrate the books. So I was studying a lot of illustration and doing like book, book uh, art. And then I decided I didn't want to do that anymore after, you know, doing it for a long time. But while I was there, there were a lot of classes that you could take as an art major. So you could take anatomy classes and like draw naked models, which was a very interesting class to take when you're 15 or 16 years old. And like everybody in the room is snickering when the model gets naked. And it's like (laughs) a very funny um, experience as a 16 year old in New York to take. Oh, they would
0: bring in an actual person. Oh,
1: Naked models would come into our high school class. I was 16 years old, and it would be either a dude or or an old they usually did overweight people because it's it's it gives you more like you know light and darks and shadows to work with when there's you know more body meat. And so they would bring in really big, bigger people to 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 pose, and they would change their pose every minute or two, and then you had to quickly draw like the changing poses and just sketch them and like just study the human form basically which was really cool. But if you're 16 years old and you come in from the Bronx or from Staten Island or from Brooklyn into uh, a high school in Manhattan, you know, it it drew a lot of um, inner city kids, right? So we'd be like cracking up, snickering, laughing when they would get naked. (laughs) Anyway, so, but, you know, I was able to take a lot of those, um, you know, the fine arts classes that prepared me for You know, later on, like I had video editing skills. I learned very basic skills, right? iMovie, stuff like that on the Macs at the school. Um, Photoshop, very basic Photoshop, basic InDesign, basic Illustrator. So I had these basic skills. But the thing is, a lot of people don't learn that. They don't learn that. They don't learn it till college or they only learn it if they go into Uh, An art focus like an art program or whatever. So I was very lucky because I got to learn some of these things that a lot of people don't know. And then when I got to college, I just kept practicing. I would make funny videos for my friends, you know, as pranks, uh, post on YouTube or Facebook. Um, And I was always like editing people's photos. They'd be like, oh, I have a pimple on my cheek. Can you Photoshop it off? I'd be like, sure, send it to me. <laughs> and so I was always, I was like that kid who just knew those, those programs. Um, and then later on, I used it to, you know, to start making videos. And, and I still, to this day, I use basic iMovie for my videos. I don't use any like Final Cut Pro or anything fancy. And I still use Photoshop for basic uh, thumbnails. Like I just, I, I use all those basic skills I learned early on. And, uh, and I still carry them with me. So yeah, mm-hmm. pretty crazy.
0: So you're telling me you don't need to go to school and take Premiere Pro for four years to have a successful YouTube channel?
1: No, no, because YouTube is super basic. And I guess I would say it really does depend, though, because if your channel is a lot more involved, like if you have a full on like web series where you do something a little more, um, you know, involved than just me. My my channel is super simple. Like literally, I just get on there. I'm like, hey, YouTube, it's me here. I'm going to teach you guys these three things about saving today. Boom, boom, boom. And then I just do like very quick tutorials like they feel like very professorial like it's like a teacher teaching and I just keep it simple you know eight minutes ten minutes maybe 20 minute videos if I'm ha- if I have a, a long topic and that's it after I, I post it it's done and I make another one so there it's a very easy format to do and definitely not like for this type of content that I create nah, no degrees no certificate programs no you know courses or anything like that needed it's it's just super basic stuff that you can learn you could probably even learn it on YouTube just like watching YouTube right. videos about how to edit Yeah
0: yeah absolutely and so there's like you said just start
1: that's right that's the hardest part too it's like you could i you know even recently i had this idea from a while back to do a podcast because everybody keeps telling me like oh you have to have a podcast everybody's doing podcasts i'm like but i already have videos on youtube do i really need a podcast too and um and but the cool thing is if you have a podcast you can have conversations with other people which is a lot harder to do on YouTube because as a YouTube channel I would have to have like my physical space where I would have like a couch and every time I wanted a guest I would have to schedule them in my physical space like if are you in New York and all these things and so I could just eliminate all of that by doing a podcast that allows us to have conversations that I record and post and you could be anywhere in the world to have a conversation like you and I right now we're not in the same physical space but we could have this conversation and so I think that's why I kind of decided, all right, I'm finally going to do it. But then even like months after I decided I was going to do it, I still hadn't taken the first step. I didn't know a thing about how to make a podcast. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you have these great ideas, but starting is just so hard for some reason. That, But once you do it, once you get over that really hard step of starting, everything else is so much easier after that. Because you've already taken that first step to start. And now you you the momentum. You just kind of ride the wave. Like you're like, this is an exciting new thing. It's official. I launched it. Now I got to keep up with it. And then it just gets so much easier once you start. So just got to get over that hump.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For You know, when I was 19, uh, the mentor that I was talking about, he introduced me to podcast. I'm like, oh, this would be cool. And I, <laughs> I always had that fear, like I want to do it. I want to do it. I'd buy stuff and i start recording and then I would delete everything, throw it away. <laughs> and then like a couple of years would pass and I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll try it again. And then I record and then I'm like, ah, and I had like so much fear. Like who's oh, yeah. going to listen to me? Like, and then, you know, I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. And after I relap or, uh, welcome the ICU from yeah. a drug overdose, I'm like, okay, now, now like I need to get back to sobriety. I need to, you know, get back on the path. So I figured if my story of success or my mm-hmm. Failure to success can help somebody else, like why not? And if I right. want to be the best entrepreneur, why not learn from? them And I'm like, I want to interview like everyone and anyone. And I was like, fail, trial, error, had no idea what I, I had yeah. some idea what I was doing. But it was just a roller coaster, but really just getting out there and starting that's and cool. then you know, connecting like I'm in Montana, you're in New York and yeah. having conversations with people all over the world. And I think it's pretty cool.
1: It is. It's very cool. I mean, oh, man, I, I didn't know that about your background, but I think it's even more compelling when the person who has something to share has been through something, you know, really intense like that. Like for me, overcoming poverty, for you, overcoming addiction, like I think these are the types of things that people stay away from talking about. For some reason, it's taboo. It's taboo to talk about that. Oh, that's too dark. Oh, that's too, too intimate. That's too much. No, that's more of a reason to talk about it because there's other people out there who need to hear our stories of adversity and overcoming adversity so that they have hope and inspiration that they can do it too. That's the only way that you're going to believe that you can do it is if you hear someone else did it, who's similar to you. So I, I, you know, I respect what you're doing because I think it's so important to take what you've experienced and shape it into a positive story that you can tell everybody or or whatever, a positive uh, experience or product or or service or whatever that you can then share with other people to, to inspire them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I 110% agree with that. So when you're not making YouTube videos and teaching (laughs) the world about money, what do you do in your free time?
1: Yeah, so I have a boyfriend who lives with me. We live together in an apartment. And um, yeah, we. I mean, I spend a lot of time with him. He he does a lot of, um, he codes and he creates like a different app. So he just made an app for Slack. So anybody who uses Slack can go onto the Slack app store and buy um, apps for Slack that can do certain things that give you added features in Slack. So he coded from scratch a simple, you know, add-on to Slack that allows you to like personally dm or personally message everybody in a slack channel so if you have like 100 people and you want to remind them all to do something if you just post it in the channel chances are half of them are going to see it half of them are not going to see it um and so instead of going by one by one and messaging each one of the 100 people you can send one message and it will individually message all of those hundred people with that reminder so um that's just a really cool thing he, he was working on so i'm here supporting him and a lot of his projects and we watch a lot of like motivational stuff on TV together. We don't watch a ton of TV, but when we do, our favorite show is Impact Theory. It's a free show. You
0: can- oh, I, yeah. I love that show.
1: watch on YouTube. Uh, the host is Tom Bilyeu. He's he's an entrepreneur. Oh, so great. He's an entrepreneur who created Quest Bars. If anybody who doesn't know of him, I'm sure you've seen the Quest Bars in the pharmacy or whatever, like drugstore. Um, And after creating quest bars, you know, he, he knew, okay, there's this recipe, this formula for creating a successful business, but his passion wasn't quest bars. Like he, his nutrition bars wasn't his, his life's passion. So he decided to leave that company and use his fortune to build a company that was his passion, which is to show other people how the mindset of a successful person is like, what is that, that mindset that you need to have? And so he created impact theory, which is a YouTube show. He interviews people that like, I, I mean, I would never have heard of if I, if it wasn't for his show. And I just sit down for an hour. We will make lunch. We sit down together right here on this couch. We'll put impact theory on and we're just like, in all of different people's life stories that we find out about through through impact theory. So we watch that show together, we read together, we hang out together, we work in the same space. Now, obviously, because of quarantine, we're working together all the time. And I spend a lot of my free time with him. He's great. So shout out to my boyfriend, Jamil. And, um, and then when Jamil and I are not together, I have a full time job uh, outside of YouTubing, which is is still giving people financial advice, which is funny because you said, "What do you do when you're not giving financial advice?" I'm giving financial advice. <laughs> so uh, I work at a company called Next Gen Personal Finance. Um, it's a nonprofit that was created by another a former entrepreneur who um, he wanted to create a place where teachers could get lesson plans, activities, projects, games, all about personal finance, so that they could take this stuff and bring it into the classroom and have a curriculum for teaching students about money. Um, so he created this company. He found me on YouTube. Oh, and cool. um, he reached out to me on YouTube and then I ended up getting a full-time job with the company, which is really great. We just basically offer teachers um, the tools that they need to teach this class in every high school. So hopefully the goal is that every high school will teach it. Right now, there's only like six states that have a personal finance class um, required for graduation. So we're trying to make that from six to go to 50. We'll see. We got our work cut out for us.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> Why do you think like that's not in the curriculum.
1: I mean, so parts of it used to be, right? Like when when I was little, my siblings, my older siblings that are the generation before millennials, so I guess that's Gen X, they were taking home ec. Like if you've ever heard of home ec or home economics, Mm -hmm. that was a lot of personal finance. Like there were budgeting um, lessons in there, credit card lessons, but now it's kind of like, oh, we we don't really do home ec anymore. We moved away from that because there's this really big push to uh, push everybody into college. Like there's a, co- a college focus in, in a lot of high schools. So there's more SAT prep. There's more test prep. There's more of that um, career counseling and things like that, um, which is equally important. Like I think it's all important. It's not that one is more important than the other, but w- w- we need to like make sure that they're all accessible to students. And so then that's, the, that's where the problem comes because it's like, all right. We got only got with so many hours at a school day. How can we make sure that they get reading, writing, math, science, history, you know, personal finance, gym, nutrition, sex education? I mean, everybody thinks that the thing they believe in is the most important thing to teach, right? Sex education advocates believe sex ed is the number one thing every teenager needs to learn. Somebody like me would argue personal finance is the number one thing people need to learn. You know, that we got history buffs and historians like, no, history is the most important thing for them to learn. So how do you uh, decide what to prioritize when you have but so many hours in a day, so many classes that you could put on a kid's schedule? I think that is one of the logistical challenges is like, we just don't have time for all these classes and we have to choose which ones are going to be the core classes that are required. And then all the rest of them will just be electives and the kids can pick them if they want them. Um, So I think that's the the, the problem right now is trying to figure out which are the ones that are going to be considered the core classes and then the other ones that are electives, which ones are those going to be a lot of people arguing that, you know, economics should not be one of the core classes, it should be an elective personal finance should be a core required class because economics is the next level after you learn your own how to manage your own money, then you can learn about the global economy. But yet, it's the reverse. Most schools require economics and don't require personal finance. So it's just interesting. I think a lot of it is uh, educational and logistical issues, but then the other piece is political, right? The powers that be, there's so many lobbyists that push for the thing that they want to be in the classrooms. And if that's economics then economics is going to be, the reality is the lobbyists, they, they are, have access to power and to Uh, legislators and politicians that make the laws that that make these requirements in the schools so if you're not in that scene it's very hard to have a voice and to have access to that power
0: yeah Yeah, well good good on you for trying trying
1: we're we're trying to do something about it you know (laughs) we'll see
0: (laughs) i don't think i learned how to uh balance a checkbook like any of my education years at all
1: no i remember my freshman year in college was the first time i had to write a check and i think it was for there was a uh, study abroad program that i was applying for and they asked for specifically for a check that you had to write a check to pay for it and i was like i had to google on my laptop at school like how to how do you write a check where do you sign the check on the bottom left or the bottom right Right. Hello? Hello? Hello?
0: I can't hear you. Oh. Oh, okay, there you are.
1: Okay,
0: sorry. My AirPods disconnected, but back on. No, you're fine. You you like froze for a minute on my screen. So no big deal. So you were saying you didn't learn how to write a check. You had to Google it. Um, Yeah. And then like now with the younger generation, like just swiping a debit card, credit card. Do you think that is going to make it harder for people to be on top of their budget?
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. Not even harder for them to be on top of their budget, but harder for them to understand the basics around money, how it works, how to make transactions. Like, there's a story that um, uh, I do a lot of teacher training, so there'll be like a hundred teachers in a room, and they're all sitting down trying to learn how to teach kids about Venmo and Cash App, because like they don't know, they don't use those things themselves. They're older teachers that don't have these apps, and kids are using them. So the teachers, there's a gap in the teachers' knowledge in terms of 21st century, uh, you know, apps and tools, right? So we kind of step in and try to teach the teachers so that they're teaching kids relevant stuff for the 21st century. So not teaching kids like, all right, everybody, this is how you write a check. That was important 10 years ago. We were in school, but now not so much. They don't write checks anymore. They're just, trying, you know, setting up online payments. So basically we're doing these trainings and one of the teachers said, uh, one of my students said that the little, their, his little sister or her little sister saw their mom and dad making payments with the iPhone, right? They just do the, the, the Apple Pay on their phone. So they pay for stuff with their phone. And the little kid goes like, I just can't wait to grow up and get my own phone so I can buy anything I want. <laughs> and I was just like, wait, that little kid thinks the phone is money. Like the yeah. kid thinks, because, well, if I'm not going to blame that child, if I was four years old and I saw my parents tapping the phone. Yeah, and, no,
0: I, absolutely. I absolutely. Mean,
1: your four year old brain is going to make a connection that how do you buy things? You, you get the phone and you tap it. So, I mean, it's just the, the constant, uh, fast paced, changing environment. And, um, technology around finances like fintech financial tech is a huge space there's new apps new new gadgets new devices new technology that comes out every day and for us to be able to keep up i mean just think about the fact that bitcoin exists like there's digital currency right. like, kids today are growing up with so much more complex and confusing um you know, uh, situations where they're having to understand money through all these different things that we never even knew existed. They didn't exist when we were coming up. So we didn't have to deal with that. It was so much less complex. So I think, yeah, definitely it's going to be harder to actually budget because you're going to have to keep track of your cash. Also your debit card, also your credit card, also your Bitcoin, also your Apple Pay. And don't forget about the Venmo and Cash App payments you set up. And it's just so much um, more complicated than it's ever been in the past.
0: Yeah, that's. You got a really good point there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so when you're not hanging, uh, now when you're not hanging out with your boyfriend, uh, what I meant to say was, if you could wake up and have the perfect day, mm-hmm. you didn't have to work. COVID nineteen was over, and never Ooh. even happened. You could just wake up and have the perfect day. Yeah. You could wake up wherever you wanted and do whatever you wanted. What would That day look like
1: oh man so first of all i would open the windows and look out onto a beach so wherever i am i don't care where it is as long as it's on a beach that's like my dream vacation dream destination is like top 10 beaches in the world i want to go to all 10 of them before i die i love the beach and so yeah definitely wake up look out at the beach maybe go out onto the beach for the morning. Like obviously do my morning routine. I, you know, wash my face, shower, get ready, eat some breakfast, have some tea, maybe go for a walk out on the beach or go for a swim just to start the day. I I like moving early in the morning. I try to get up and move around and, you know, either, even if it's walking around or going up and down the stairs, cause it just sets the tone for the day. Like, okay, now I'm up and moving. Now I'm ready for the day and ready to be productive. Um, and then I, I, I would love to think that I would still be offering some sort of service, even if I didn't have to work. Like, I just love connecting with people. Um, so if that means there's some sort of online forum or online community that I have, uh, you know, access to, I would probably connect with my community in the morning. Like, you know, after I do my morning movement, maybe go on the beach, come back in, connect with my community, whether that's on YouTube, whether that's a Facebook community group or whatever that looks like, Um, touch base with the folks that are supporting my work or that are looking for guidance from me in some way. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I love cooking. So I would probably spend a lot of time making my meals for the day, like fresh cooked lunch, you know, figure out what I want to eat for dinner. Like food is, is, I love eating, but I also love cooking. Like the the preparation of the food is just as enjoyable to me as like eating it. Um, So I would definitely have like, I don't know every ingredient that I would that I could think of that I would want to try to cook something with I would have like un- unlimited ingredients in my kitchen, so I could just like have have a you know have at it with cooking and getting creative around what I want to eat um and then I mean I would probably just read for a while. I like making sure every day if I can incorporate some time to read, I try to read. There's definitely days where i I'll go to bed and I didn't get to read anything that day except for like some emails, but I try to make sure even if it's just twenty minutes, ten minutes of reading um or you know if i can't read then listening to an audiobook while i'm doing laundry or something like if i have things that i need to get done at least try to listen to something to stimulate my brain a little bit not just you know scrolling through instagram and watching stuff online yeah. um i would definitely talk to my family for a little bit like call my mom call my dad check in with them that usually i usually plan like oh i'm going to talk to my mom for like 5 10 minutes it always lasts like 30 or 40 minutes because my mom just talks, <laughs> talks, talk, 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 So I would need like an hour to block off just for mom and dad conversations with mom and dad. <laughs> um, they like to talk a lot, like me. That's where I get it from. So yeah, I'll probably t- check in with them. And then at night, I would probably like to go out, you know, if, it's an, if, I'm, on a, if I'm somewhere where there's a beach accessible to me that I imagine that, like, it's really nice climate, I would probably like to go out either on a hike or, like, go, for, go out to a fair street fair or a food festival, whatever's going on. I just like to, like, go out and be out with people, especially now during quarantine. I just, like, miss going out and being in yeah, groups of people so much. i like, I miss, like, the food, the farmer's market, like, food festivals, just going out. Um... And uh, yeah, probably just end the night with a glass of wine. I'm a big red wine fan. I just love red wine so much. It's easy on the stomach after dinner, during dinner, and also can put you to bed really easily. So it's perfect for knocking out right after a good glass of wine. I'm ready for bed.
0: (laughs) There you go. Right on. So you were talking about when the first thing that you would do when you would wake up is open up the window. What about on just a normal day basis? Do you have a morning routine?
1: I do. Um, I have a pretty strict morning routine. Actually, it's so funny. I don't know if show you, but over here on my wall, oh, I'm nervous that you're not that I'm if I move my my mic, it's gonna get unplugged. But anyway, on my wall, on the other side of this wall here, I have post-its on the on the wall. And that's just a way that I keep myself accountable for doing the things that I want to make sure I get done every day. So it's some of them are super simple. Like take my vitamins. Like I got to make sure I take my vitamins every day. And if I don't remind myself, I'm going to forget. So I have just different color post-its. The green ones are vitamins. The pink ones are like workouts that I do. Blue ones are like food prep, like just making sure these things are getting done every day that I put time aside to do those things. Um, Yellow post-its like productivity. So like something with my work or workout just to make sure like, you know, if I read something or if if I'm working on a project that I did something to advance that project forward in some way, um, and so yeah, I just put like when I'm finished doing the thing, I put the post it up under the Sunday column, Monday column. So I basically have a column for each day of the week, and I just try to you know check in every week and see am I am I working towards the big projects in my life that I want to be working on? If I notice three days in a row I didn't work on something, I'm like, what's going on? Do I do I not have interest in that project anymore? Like I got to check in with myself and see what's going on because. If you're going one or two days without doing something, it it means you don't want to do it because you, you want, you will do what you want to do in your day, especially when your day is like really busy. You tend to prioritize the things that have a deadline or the things that you want to do. And so if you're not getting to something, you got to find out why. Um, And that happens to me all the time with exercising. Like I have a love-hate relationship with exercising. I love working out. It makes me feel so good especially if it's like dance cardio dance or like some sort of like dancing. But then there's days where I get into my rut. I'm like, "Oh, I don't really feel like it, you know. It's like, I just don't feel like working out today." And then if I do that two days in a row, then I'm like, "Oh, great. Now it's probably going to go on to third day." And so then I have to check in with myself like, "All right, look, 3 days here straight where I didn't work out. I have to move tomorrow, even if it's easing myself back in with yoga or something like slow, right? But I have to do something to start moving because I don't know. I just don't want to be the kind of person who doesn't make time for important things every day, like eating, moving, um, you know, productivity, self-care. Like these are things like if you don't make time for it, you tend to go a little crazy. And um, yeah, you start to maybe feel either anxious or, or you just start to feel like depressed a little bit. And so I think if, if I hold myself accountable to doing those things every morning, even if it's not in the morning, like sometimes I just make sure I get to it. But Generally speaking, I do. I'm really weird, though. My boyfriend and I don't have a bed in our apartment. We sleep in a hammock. So what? I know it's so weird. We sleep in a hammock. So in the morning when we get up, it's automatically you're forced to kind of like move your body because you have to get out of the hammock and it kind of you know has a swing and stuff. So just even just getting out of the hammock is like a workout in itself in the morning, which we like because it makes us move in a way that you wouldn't move. When you get off a of bed, you just roll off the bed. You know what I mean. And so you, you just kind of take that for granted. So in the morning, I yeah, get up off the hammock. I get water usually early. I either tea if it's cold or if I'm hot, I get what cold water. And uh and then I yeah, I mean you know obviously hygiene and stuff. I brush my teeth, take care of my hair, face, wash my you know whatever. Get a shower, and um and then I always do some something hot like either a, a bone broth, a soup of some sort, or hot tea. Um, just to get something hot in my stomach. Usually I don't eat for like sale food for a, a while. I try to do, I don't know, maybe like afternoon, like 2 p.m., 1 p.m., 2 p.m. I actually eat my first meal of the day. I'm not big on breakfast. Um, yeah. And then most of the time I'm just working. I'll just check my emails, either making videos or, you know, work work for my full-time job, uh, which could be like calls or you know, Zoom meetings or whatever that is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it's good to have something that you do every day so that you feel some connection to that routine and it keeps you grounded.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big person on morning routines. My nightly routine, it it slacks completely. <laughs> I'm not perfect at it. I got a board that I, you know, write like the five most important things I need to do. And then yeah. I got like reminders on my phone, what I need to do. And I'll yeah. have like other stuff hanging up around me, like what what I need to do, what's important. Yeah. I, I i like lift weights so when the gyms are closed i'm like eh, i'll like do some home workout but no i haven't I've yeah. done, like like some excuse me some push-ups but no wouldn't even count and like really right now i need to hone down on my self-care um and like i'll like go on walks and like when i like meditate read yeah. listen to an audiobook yeah really keep my creativity and my mind going whatever that might be cooking a meal editing something or taking a picture or whatever just keeping that going and reminding myself to stay calm stay in the moment and like this will pass this pandemic will pass like in montana we just started phase one today of like reopening back up so like it's happening unfortunately like it happened but like it Things are not permanent. Like permanent marker doesn't stay forever. So why would this?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's
0: Um, that's right. But uh, anyways, uh, you were talking about the hammock. I am interested in the hammock. Please tell me more about the hammock. Like
1: what? People always want to know about this hammock life. We love the hammock life. Okay, so um, we had... An apartment before this one, we lived in an, in an apartment not too far from my, my parents' house where I grew up. And that neighborhood, the apartments are so tiny. I mean, there's just no space in, in Brooklyn. Everything is, is super small, like studio apartments you're packed in. So it was my abortion and I in a studio. And it's what we could afford at that time. And so we're like, all right, well, we don't have a lot of space. So we have to figure out ways to save space. There was a whole nook in the apartment that was meant for a bed. Uh, but the ceiling was really low. So in the mornings, we got we got ended up getting like a Casper mattress or whatever, you know, those box mattresses. We tried a couple of different ones. Actually, we were testing them to see which one was the best. And my boyfriend would wake up and like knock his head because the ceiling was low and the mattress was, you know, there. And then also for some reason, every day he'd wake up and have really bad um, back problems, just like back pains. where he'd crack his back this way, crack that way and just be so many cracks. And like it was just it's it was scary. We we're like, OK, what's going on? So we were trying different mattresses to see if we could help with his back problems. And and then at that point, he started reading online about uh, Japanese uh, floor mats. If you just put like a very thin mat on the floor, this is a, a, a Japanese practice, especially popular in Japan, but a lot of, you know, countries do this, but... They sell these little thin Japanese mats where you just essentially are sleeping on the floor with your back straight on the floor. And at first, it's painful because your back is not used to that. But after a while, it actually realigns your spine. It's really the best way to improve any posture issues or back problems or back pains that you have. So from researching, my boyfriend realized, oh, I think we're, we might have to start sleeping on the floor to, to help his back. So he would take naps on the floor, and then he started reading online and found, oh, the second best thing after flat, sleeping on the ground, um, flat on your back, is actually a hammock. And so he's like, oh, maybe I should try this. And so he ordered a hammock, and literally just like on Amazon. Oh, no, not on Amazon. I think we got it on another site. But anyway, it came in the mail, just like an Amazon box would. And uh, we set it up, and he had to you know, find out where the studs were. So he had to use a stud finder to make sure, because this hammock is going to hold you know, 400 pounds, right, Two, two, three hundred 300 pounds, it's got to be sturdy. So he hooked it up, and it's a really big, like, hammock. Like, if you pull it open, probably, like, four people could fit across it, right? It's a really big hammock. So we installed it. We started taking naps in it, just, like, you know, between work or whatever, whenever we had a break. Um, And weekends, we would just take a nap in there. And it would be one of us at a time. And then we, we both start taking naps in there together. And we're weird. We're like one of those couples that's very cuddly, like, it's very cuddly. Like, some people need their space when they're sleeping. They need to, like, put their arms out wide and, like, spread out. Like, we are not like that. We, we could be in a, in a king size bed and we'll still be all cuddled up like koala bears. Oh. Uh-huh. That's just how we are. We're cuddly. Yeah, totally. Okay. We're cuddly lovers. So we're all cuddly and cuddled up and in the hammock. And then we start getting the best. Sleep ever because these naps would turn into like really long sleep. And we're like, this is the best because the hammock is just rocking you so slow, like so slightly. And it's like, you just feel like you're in the womb, you know, because the hammock is kind of like wrapped around you. And so we were like, okay, okay, okay. This hammock costs us like two, three hundred bucks. The mattress costs like thousands of dollars. What this is the best, this is way better. It's spacious because we have a really big hammock and we're fine sleeping caro through the night what if we just tried to sleep in it all the time so then we tried that we just went a couple weeks just sleeping in the hammock to see his back problems back issues back pains went away really we were really comfortable sleeping in it the thing though is that we were reading a lot about it so when you're sleeping in a hammock you can't get the ones that are like a rectangle shape and they have like Mm -hmm. two wooden sticks at the ends. those are the crappiest like those are not meant for those are just meant for like a day on the beach right uh, but if you want to have a really like a, a you know sturdy one that you're going to sleep in a lot, it, it has to be the ones that are sort of like taut at the ends. It's kind of like a, a you know, I don't know, like a basket almost like it just, yeah, yeah it pulls up in the corner,'s like knotted at the ends. and also you you can't sleep in it like a banana. So the way that your back looks when it's in the hammock, if you sleep in it the way that you think you should, you're going to make a banana shape. And that's really bad for your back because you're actually turning your back into a U-shape or a C-shape, whatever, you know, rounded shape. So you actually have to spread yourself out diagonally on the hammock so that your back is straight, sort of like how it would be if you were sleeping on a Japanese floor mat. So, yeah, so the hammock is, you know, bends like a banana. You, you know, put your head and your foot diagonally across it. And it, it creates like a really taut friction or like, you know, pull, it pulls a taut tension on the hammock. So you're basically sleeping on your back, like flat. And so we started doing that and that was years ago. We've been sleeping in a hammock for, I don't even know how long. It's been a couple of years for sure.
0: Wow. That's super <laughs> interesting. We're weird.
1: We're so weird. I've, I've never posted about it, but I do tell all my friends and my family, and everybody knows that we sleep in a hammock, but I've never made like a YouTube video about it or or, you know, announced it more broadly or anything. I don't know. I just feel like people would just start, people just judge and just like make it a, a, you know, such a big thing, but maybe I should, maybe I will. Maybe you've inspired me to maybe think about uh, creating content around my hammock lifestyle.
0: (laughs) Well, right on. Yeah, that's like super interesting. That Like while you were telling me about that, I'm like, man, I just want to go order a hammock now. Yes. So So
1: comfortable. It's the best nap you will ever have. It's so nice. And yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll wake up to go to the bathroom in the night and then I'll come back. But it's so easy to just fall right back asleep because you're being rocked to bed like a baby. I mean, I don't it just you just sort of have to like do it to understand how how nice it is to sleep in it. But I will say if you're the type of person who needs your space and you need to like spread out and roll around. It's not going to be for you because you have no no personal space. You yeah. when you're in a hammock with someone else. You really like one on top of the other.
0: Yeah, I yeah I could imagine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, but that's that's super cool, huh? You might inspire me to go sleep in a hammock.
1: Yeah, so, I'll send you some literature. Convince you officially. <laughs> perfect.
0: Thank you. Uh so I got a couple last questions for you. Yeah, what's up? One, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Yeah, so um if you guys want to email me, the easiest way to do that is missbehelpful at gmail.com. That's the email that I post in all of my YouTube videos. Uh but if you want to find the content that I've created, definitely go to YouTube. It's like uh, the fastest way to find me. Miss Be Helpful on YouTube. It's M-I-S-S-B-E-Helpful. And um, yep, I post videos there every week. And I recently just started a podcast and I also Post the uh, podcast videos onto the YouTube channel a couple of days after the podcast goes live. So you can either listen to it or you can watch the video of the interview on the channel too. Um, And then all the other social media places Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the same things at Miss Be Helpful.
0: Right on. And what is your podcast called?
1: Mind Your Money with Miss Be Helpful.
0: Mind Your Money at Miss Be Helpful. Love it. Love it. Right (laughs) on. So, I'm glad that you're sitting down for this one. Are you ready? I'm ready. You sure? I'm ready. All right. What is your message to the world?
1: Figure out what your passion is and find out how you can impart it on the world. You've got to find something you're passionate about and then think of how you want to give it to others, what that's going to look like and what that's going to mean for you. For me, it's, teaching people about personal finance and helping them get inspired to make change in their own financial lives. And, you know, I think once you find out what you're passionate about and how you're going to share it with other people, your life becomes so much more meaningful rather than just like a routine, you know, regimen every day, same thing every day in and out and day out. So I think it's important to find out what you're passionate about, even if it's not like a a, a business or a brand or an entrepreneurship. But it could just be a simple project. It could just be volunteering. It could be whatever it is, but it's got to spark uh, some sort of passion in you. Otherwise, yeah, life's going to be pretty, pretty meaningless and uninspiring. Mm,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Man, I know I did. At Miss Be Helpful. And i loved how she told me about her hammock and how to build wealth and just the genuine conversation that i had with her was just amazing so please share this with somebody guys please go to www.eastcoasttags.com and get 10 percent off when you use the promo code none of your business and follow me on instagram at robert delude and at miss be Helpful on instagram Check out our YouTube channel. It's amazing. I love you guys. Till next time.